Episode 64 with UFC light heavyweight contender Anthony Smith. Anthony Lionheart Smith is upon us. But before I get into that, I want to say again, guys, please go to no-shave.org for uh, No Shave November and please help us in the raising money for this the fight against cancer worldwide. And uh, again, you can search it in the last episode, episode 63, um, just contribute $25. That's all we're asking for. We're halfway through the month of November. If you can go in there to the Optimal Life uh, No Shave page and contribute a minimum of $25, it will be great. It will be appreciated, and you will be doing a service for others to try to find ways to continue to thwart this deadly disease that, that millions of people are struggling with every single day. So wanted to make sure I got that in there again. No-shave.org, uh, No Shave November, Google it, The Optimal Life Podcast. You can get it in episode 63, the link. And uh, and uh, if you can go in there and make a contribution, uh, it would be tremendously appreciated. With that said, uh, episode 64 is with Anthony Lionheart Smith. He's the number three rated UFC light heavyweight contender in the world. And uh, we talk about his, his uh, um, pretty crazy adverse path from uh, his early teenage years all the way up through to where he is now at 30 years old, 44 professional fights within the past 10 years. And he had some pretty low moments in his life, some rock bottom moments that uh, I know most people can uh, relate to in some way, shape or form. Uh, obviously his is different than and unique to himself. But again, he shows that, that adversity is okay as long as you find ways to attack it face on, face forward, head first to come out a better person on the other side. And that is what I took away from this conversation with Anthony Smith, a great guy and a guy that has potential to be a champion within the next year or two in the UFC. So let's look back in, uh, at this episode and God willing, he will be, uh, the, he will be donning the, uh, the belt, the strap at two Oh five. Um, and we'll look back and say, Oh, we knew it. We knew that the, the potential was there and, and he did it. So without further ado, Sit back, relax, and enjoy this very insightful, motivational, and inspirational conversation with the one and only Anthony Smith. The Optimal Life. You know, one thing you and I have in common is uh, we both have three daughters. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, it's a pleasure to meet you, sir. <laughs> There's not many of us out there. we got to stick together. It's a really interesting thing, isn't it? It is. It's definitely different. Yeah. How old are yours? Seven, four, and one. Oh man, you're you're in the thick of it too right now. I am. I'm right in the I'm on the battlefield right now. Because mine are uh, eight, six, and two and a half. Oh, and uh, yeah, we're very similar time frame. And uh, you know, I always wanted a son, obviously. Um, but but there's something so special about seeing a dynamic with three girls. It's oh, it's so is, unique, right? Is. Yeah. You know, if you uh, if you'd asked me, you know years ago how I would have felt about having uh, having three daughters and no sons, you know, I think I would have sounded probably pretty disappointed. Obviously, it would have been pretty cool, I think, to have a boy, but honestly, man, I, I don't know that I would change it if I could at this point. It's so, it's crazy. It's crazy, the love that these little kids have for each other, and my, my two older ones are just one grade apart, so they're like, you know, built-in best friends. It's It's really unique. Wild, yeah. What do they think about their dad? Uh, uh, what what he does for a living? Do they do they get it yet? You know, I, I I'm not sure. 
be honest with you, you know, they, they obviously watch all my fights. Well, I can't, I guess I can't say obviously. I do know a lot of guys that don't let their children watch them fight at all. So, mm-hmm. uh, they, they watch all my fights. They, they've been to, you know, they go to the gym and, and, you know, they really, it's all they've ever known. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I tell people all the time, I, the reason I don't hide it is it, I, it's what I do, you know, and it, it's, it's how I feed us. It's how I keep a roof over our, over our head. And, and I don't want to hide that from them. So they don't really, they don't connect fighting with conflict yet, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, so, you know, it is kind of funny, though, when, you know, the new school year starts and, you know, she's telling, teachers ask, you know, what, what, what do your parents do? And so, you know, it, it, coming from a four or a seven-year-old and you say, well, my daddy beats people up, you know, you, you got to kind of get ahead of that every once in a while and, and straighten it out so it doesn't sound like I'm out here beating people up in the streets. But right, right, right. They enjoy it, man. My four-year-old thinks that I win every single fight ever. So <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, I don't have to worry about disappointing her. No doubt. Uh, you've been fighting obviously for a while. I mean, forty-four professional fights. Um, you, you know, you're what are you thirty years old now? Thirty. Yep. Yeah. So thirty years old, forty-four professional fights, dude. That is a crazy number. Yeah. Yeah. We uh we got rolling pretty early, and you know that that's pretty indicative of the Midwest scene, though. You know, you see guys that that come from the Midwest. Uh, they tend to they tend to have more fights. Uh, especially around the time that I kind of came up, there was a lot of shows when this thing really blew up. So mm-hmm. there's just a lot of opportunities. You know, there's been times I fought in, you know, Saturday or Friday and Saturday night, you know, in separate states. You know, wow. It's, yeah, it's just crazy, man, how, how the scene here is in the Midwest. Uh, and it's still kind of like that. You know, there's still a lot of shows around here. There's a lot of opportunity. Now, you, you're out in Cal- uh, Colorado? No, I live in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. You live in Nebraska, but you were doing some training in Colorado, right? Is that? Yeah, I've been doing all my training camps in Denver for about the last two, two and a half years. Okay, okay. So, because uh, um, I know that you, so this is your second stint in the UFC. Um, yeah. Doing a little, going back and doing a little bit of, of work on you just to get a, a familiar with your history. And man, man, it sounds like you've got such a crazy, crazy journey and story. And I, I feel like nobody really talks about it. I mean, you've got one of the more unique stories. It sounds like of uh, guys in the in the top ten in all weight classes in this in this UFC, and uh, nobody's talking about it. I mean, go back to go back to some of your early days where uh, where you found some trouble in your life, and, and talk us through that, man. You you, you know, with the, with the accident and uh, the drinking and going through a tough time. I mean, take take us back to that if you would. Yeah, yeah, you know. What? I, so I grew up in a in a small town, right? Well, I guess to go back a little bit further, I actually lived for a long time in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and uh, you know I just lived in a really bad neighborhood. It was just a just kind of gang infested, and, and and I was I've, my problem that I've always had is is I don't really fit a mold. You know, I'm half white and half black, so I don't really fit in either group as you're growing up, depending on the place you live. You know, so. Mm-hmm. I, I lived in kind of a gang-infested neighborhood. There was a lot of violence, a lot of drugs. And, uh, you know, my mom was a single mom, and she, and she she did a phenomenal job. But it just, you know, she she was originally from, uh, you know, a small town in Missouri, so she was kind of out of place, too. So let me so, ask you real quick. Sorry to interrupt you, but let me ask you. Uh, when you say that, like, you grow up uh, interracial, um, the, a lot of, most people don't know what that's like, and, and I've only heard from other people. So... 
are you saying that like the white guys didn't feel comfortable hanging out with you and then and vice versa the same as the black guys didn't hang, feel comfortable hanging out with you you were kind of like in your own little group right right you're kind of you're kind of stuck kind of off on your own you know and, wow uh, it, well if you live you know so like as i was saying like i lived in kind of a gang infested neighborhood so that was primarily black guys you know it's black kids it's it's black families and i'm not black Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't necessarily fit in, and my mom was from Missouri, so she's about as white as you can be, you know, <laughs> and, uh, right. in a, a town of like 300 people. So, you know, I, I just, that's just how our family, that's just not how our family was. So um, I was I had a tough time. I got bullied a lot. I got a lot of fights and, and got picked on a lot. And, you know, I, I remember being picked on because, you know, they would always say that my pants were too tight. And essentially, my pants just fit. I just wasn't sagging my pants like everyone else, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, that's, I just remember getting beat up for that because my pants fit. Oh, and wow. So, we, we ended up moving uh, to Nebraska City. It's a little small town about an hour south of Omaha. And it was a total opposite culture shock for me because now I'm in a city with no black people and I'm half black. Well, I'm, I'm not white. You know what I mean? So I had an issue in Colorado that I wasn't black enough, and now I'm not white enough. So it's, it essentially started out the same. You know, I got made fun of, got bullied. And, you know, eventually I found out that uh, if you just started whooping fucking people's asses, they stopped fucking with you. And that's how this whole kind of road started for me as far as how I dealt with my problems. No shit. Wow. I, I found out in seventh and eighth grade real quickly that if you just start cracking noses people will leave you alone <laughs> and and that's what i started doing and, and you know i won some i lost some and, and but that's how i dealt with it and that's how i gained respect you know and then as wrestling came on and i started getting good and, and i was good at football you know i kind of i kind of battled my way from being the kid that everyone hated to kind of the the popular you know athlete yeah yeah and uh as I, you know, and I still had my issues, you know, and, and as I got towards the end of high school, um, you know, my, my grandpa died and he was kind of, he was kind of the rock in my life, you know, so for whatever reason, I just didn't take that very well and, and, and it kind of ruined me. Um, and, and I just started, started partying and drinking really bad and, you know, I kind of fucked off my athletic career. And, was this your, uh, was this your mother's father? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So... I uh, I ended up dropping out of high school, uh, so I think I'm 17. Would have been halfway through my senior year, and uh, that's kind of when my problems really, really started. You know, I, I just I just fell apart. You know, and and, and it, as everyone's seen on the the broadcast, you know, for my last two fights, it, eventually I walked into a subway and and kind of found this MMA thing, and that kind of turned me around for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, like any young dumb kid, you know, I. You know, it's that, that first bout of love, you know, and uh, that all happened. And, and when that fell apart, um, so did my life. And that was kind of how things happened for me. You know, once everything, once one real bad thing happened, I just let everything else fall apart and yeah. made those problems so much more worse for myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, inter- it's I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's interesting uh, how I think us as just human beings, as people, we're always... We put so much emphasis onto um, our internal happiness by the love and affection and just things that are shown to us by other people. And it's amazing how one person that comes into your life 
and then maybe steps out of your life, how that how that could take such a toll on you, whether it's a girlfriend, a boyfriend, uh, a marriage, obviously, but it's just amazing. I talk about it on the show with plenty of people from all walks of life, how how uh, how reliant we are on other people, and then and and then we give them that we give those types of people so much so much um, clout once they're gone. You know what I mean? Right. Well, we give them so much power. Power, power over you. Yeah. So so it sounds like that was similar to you, and you're you know you're what were you twenty years old at that point or something? Yeah, yeah, I was twenty. So mm-hmm. then 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 things fell apart for me, man, and that was when I was at my worst. And you know, and I just barely made it through my grandpa's thing. You know, I just came out of that, and here we are again. You know, mm-hmm. so um, I'm actually I'm gonna be honest with you. I've never told this part of the story, but I've told the story. Anyways, I'll give you the good part of it. I'm at a party uh, doing what Anthony Smith did at the time and just targeted his face off. And that was kind of my first introduction to any kind of drugs, you know? I'd never done any drugs. I'd never, I was just a drinker. That was, that was, my, that was my shit. You know, that's a, kind of a Nebraska thing. Everybody drinks beer. This is what we do. Right. And uh, that was kind of my first introduction to drugs. And I didn't know how drugs would affect me or anything like that. Well, fast forward to the next morning, I'm still partying, I'm still doing drugs. And, um, I was trying to make it home, you know, and, and, and I don't remember anything past 6 a.m., but I'm just trying to make it home, man. Um, hit a couple cars in the parking lot of the house that I was leaving, uh, trying to get home and I passed out on a gravel road doing 85 and, and, you know, woke up on, on life support a few days later. Dude, what is that moment like when you, when you open your eyes and you're in a hospital bed? And you have no idea what the hell happened to you. Oh man, it was it was I I, I can safely say it's one it's one of the most terrifying things I've ever imagined. You know, like I remember wondering, you know, like I I, I, I remember I woke up just a few seconds before I actually opened my eyes, and I could and I was trying to figure out what was going on. You ever like start to wake up but you don't quite open your eyes and you can kind of be aware of your surroundings first? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I remember hearing the beeping of all the machines. And I, I figured out pretty quick that I was in a I was in a hospital. And I remember I was like kind of wiggling my fingers and wiggling my toes. And I remember I hurt really bad, but I could move everything. And I remember being relieved that everything worked. I was like, okay. Now I'm trying to like track back in my head, like what's the last thing you remember? Yeah. And I remember and I remembered I was driving at 6 a.m. in Peru, Nebraska, the little college town. Um, at about six o'clock in the morning and it, and it was uh, we were we had, we had convinced some college student to buy us more beer because it wasn't old enough to drink yet so that was so then I, re- I, I realized all right I must have been in a car accident and then I realized I was driving and then I remember the uh, the machine like the ventilator that I was on I hadn't realized that there was a ventilator in my mouth yet so I like bit down on it and it stopped breathing for me and it, and it like kind of kinked it and then all hell broke loose, you know, because then I realized, holy fuck, I'm a goddamn ventilator. And then I start freaking out, and I don't, don't know what's going on, you know, and, and I'm, then I'm terrified, like, did I kill somebody? I oh, have no idea what happened. You know? So now I'm terrified, thinking, like, here we go, like, my life is over, like, no way that I just did all this to myself, and nothing else happened to anyone else, you know? So, you know, there's just all those thoughts run through my head, and they run in, they sedate me again, and then I'll go for a while again. Uh, I woke up the second time uh, the next day 
and I was a little bit more calm because I didn't want her to put me out again. So I was able to move my hand. So my mom came over and gave me her cell phone so that we could type messages back and forth to each other. Uh, that's how we could communicate. So she hands me her phone, and I said what happened. She told me I got in a car accident, which was pretty clear to me at that point already. Uh, I think I said who was, I think I asked who was I with. She told me I was alone, and then I, I I remember being so afraid to hand her the phone, but I remember typing that I heard anyone, and I remember the whole room just broke out crying, like they they were just hysterical because there was and then and then it, me of course I'm like oh my god I did like oh, I'm so fucked. And, and then, she, you know, she just said, no, you were by yourself, you wrecked, it was a one-car thing, no one else was around. And then after that, I had a pretty good sense of relief. Oh, and sure. I didn't, hurt, I, yeah. I didn't hurt anybody, I'm alive, I'm not paralyzed, I can deal with anything else after that. Dude, what a crazy mix of emotions that must have been. Uh, because you're, you're, wow, that's insane. Because, you, you know, you're probably embarrassed to an extent, you're... Ashamed, you're ashamed. You see your mom's struggling. These people that care about you are in the room. You're on the bed. You love, um, but then you get that news that like, thank God, nothing else. It could have been a lot worse. Uh, I mean, th that 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 could have changed your life forever. It happens to people all the time. It's it's so scary. So so once you got past that point, I mean, that must have been. And correct me if I'm wrong. I assume that was probably the lowest moment of your life. Um, or one of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one of them for sure. Uh, you know, I, at, at this very moment, you know, I can't, I can't think of anything that mm -hmm. uh, is is worse than that. You know, so. So whenever, uh, when it, whenever, I got a, I got, I, uh, after that, I got a DUI, obviously. Um, right. Got a whole slew of charges. Uh, was was headed to prison. Uh, it wasn't wasn't my first DUI, so there was that. You know, I had that to deal with. But at the time, it wasn't that big of a deal to me because, like you said, I knew it could have been so much worse. Yeah, yeah. And whenever people, so, somebody hits rock bottom, uh, all you can do is go up. So what did you start doing to, to start going up? Um, well, you know, I got, I got sober. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, I, didn't really, I don't really think I had a drinking problem. I think I had a, I had a dealing with my problems problem. And alcohol was just the way that I chose to do that. Um, Makes so, sense. You know, yeah. I, I got, I, I did a little bit of jail time. Uh, uh, and when I say that it wasn't a big deal and I wasn't worried about it, by, by that I mean like I was willing to take my punishment and I and I accepted it. You know what I mean? I, like, sure. It wasn't one of those situations where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go to jail. I'm, I'm out. You know what I mean? I didn't really care because I knew I deserved it. And I was just happy that it wasn't worse. And that's what I mean by that. I wanted to come off like I didn't care that I got to DUI. Um, yeah, totally. So, you know, I got I got some jail time. I got a lot of probation, which honestly was really good for me. I I had to go to a lot of classes that that dealt with a lot of feelings, and that was kind of a a new thing for me because I I had I had two I had, you know I had like two emotions at the time. It was happy or or angry, and there was nothing in between, and I didn't really know. When anything, when any feelings like that in between really were, or how to deal with them, so that was a that was a good thing for me. Uh, probation honestly helped me a lot. It, so you know, like I said, it, it forced me to not drink, so I couldn't I couldn't hide all those feelings, and I was able to deal with it. And once I was uh, once I got my ankle monitor off, 
I decided that that we're gonna get back on this horse and we're gonna we're gonna figure this shit out. You know, like I always say, come hell or high water, you know, I, I'm world champion or I'm gonna die trying. And and I mean that. You know what I mean? And, and I've gone through too much shit to not make it happen. So that's what I did. I went back to training and and went back to fighting. I think I lost my first fight after the accident. Um, and and this this is just the road we've been on, man. There's been a hundred ups and downs since then, but, uh, <laughs> things will never be that bad again. Exactly. Well, you have, you have too many people that, uh, that, that are relying on you now. Big difference. Right. Now. Well, yeah. and, you know, and, and that, that made a huge difference too. When it was, it was shortly after all of the, uh, all of that stuff happened that I met my fiance, Michaela. And that, you know, since then, everything's really been up, you know, I, I haven't, I don't know, man. I, I tell people all the time that I think the thing that really turned me around, and, and I think that the car accident would have been enough, but I think that what, what really solidified that was was Michaela and my, and my kids. I, I think that I needed someone to need me, if that makes any sense. Um, I, I was kind of just floating around the world, and, and I, knew that I, you know, I knew that obviously being a world champion wasn't my dream, but other than that, I didn't really know who I was. You know, I, I kind of had... My identity was kind of just a fighter. That was all I knew, and that was all that I wanted to know. And, and once I met Michaela, and, and we started having kids, and you know, essentially she she forced me to grow up. You know, she forced me to 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 do the things that real men do. Um, and, and, and once we had our first child, it's you know, it's been all about her and my kids. Because if it wasn't for them, I, I, I'm not sure that I would have. You know, who knows? Maybe that DUI and the and the probation and, and the car accident, like maybe that would have fixed me for a little while, but I don't know if I would have went back to doing what I was doing the first time I had another problem. Yeah. But by by having these these four you know, these four girls uh, <laughs> it's really it's it, I, I you know, they need me and they need me to keep my shit together. And that you know, that I think that, that that's really the the deciding factor in any decision that I make. Whether it's good or bad, absolutely, man. And anyone that doesn't have kids, it's impossible for them to understand what you're saying. But boy, once you have just one, it will change you. For it's like a checks and balance in place. Like, like sure. it's almost like your subconscious mind won't even allow you to go down those paths of drinking and partying till six in the morning. You know that there's too way, way too much to lose. Way too much to lose, man. Um, so, so you got back on the fighting scene and obviously you, you were, you were in the UFC, uh, you bounced around several times to some different organizations it looked like. Um, but then you came back to the UFC a few years ago. And to me, uh, again, this is what uh, I, I follow the UFC a decent amount. I'm not a diehard, but I'm enough of a fan to know what's going on. Uh, to me, these guys uh, you, you don't get a nearly enough publicity as you should based upon this story, based upon your past, based upon you got 40 plus fights, you're a dad, three, three daughters, uh, moving up the ranks, man. You almost lost everything back when you were in your early twenties. You almost lost your life. It sounds like, and, uh, and you're a guy that's just continuously persevered. I mean, you, this has not been a, an easy road when I look at your road on, on your, on your fight career by any means. No. 31 and 13, man, that's, I mean, you, you've had some ups and downs, like you said, but man, you came back to the UFC a few years ago, 
and you've been turning your career around. And I know that you mentioned at the beginning that you um, ultimately found Mark Montoya and, and those guys in Colorado. So take us take us to that point, if you would, and what they've done for you. Um, well, right before uh, that, I, I I was still I was winning. You know, I was doing. I had I think I was on a two or three fight win streak, and I, I just felt flat. You know, and and and. Everything that I do is calculated. It really is. It may not look like that, you know, just standing on the outside, but uh, everything I do is calculated. And I needed to change, you know. I changed management. I changed my coaches. And, and I had a few friends that trained at Factory X with Mark Montoya. And I've heard nothing but good things about him. You know, he wasn't getting a lot of publicity, but, I, you know, I, I know a good coach when I see it. And, and I, I don't need the, the superstar coach. I need someone who cares about me. And I a lot of coaches will say things like, well, you know, I think we should do this. How do you feel about that? Like, that's not Mark. And, and I don't need that. I need, uh, and as silly as it sounds, I kind of need that father figure. I need this, this, this man to say, here's what you're doing. Here's when you're going to do it. And here's what time we're going to be there. And I just don't, I, I do well with that. And that, and I do well in that environment. Like, and that's why you ha I have to trust you because I'm going to give you everything I have. And I'm going to do everything you tell me to do. You know what I mean? If Mark told me to shove my thumb on my ass and make me a better fighter, I would. And <laughs> that, that's just that's just how it is. So, you know, I went to I went to Denver and I, and I tried it out for a little while and I liked it and I, I just stayed. I never, you know, I never left. Uh, I did the whole training camp there and, and obviously, I mean, I you know, it's figuratively speaking. You know, I, I come home every single weekend to see my family. Uh, right, but, right. And I was there for six weeks and and it worked and and. And it, it, what, it, what we're doing is still working, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll run headfirst through walls for that, dude. I, I will. And, and I still have the same jujitsu coach that I've had for the last 10 years, uh, same boxing coach that I've had for the last, you know, six or seven. So yeah. uh, we all work together really, really well, man. My Jim is uh, is my manager, and, and I can't, I couldn't, I, there's no one else I would trust more with my career than than Jim Walter. He, he, he genuinely cares about me and my family and every decision he makes and every phone call he makes he does it with the mindset of uh, i'm doing this for not only anthony but for my for my kids and my fiance like it, he's, he's making decisions that ultimately will will hopefully set us up for the rest of our lives and uh he takes that really really seriously you know and and mark does too and, mm -hmm. and I, I don't really feel like it's a team it's a, a family like you know we i, I love these guys no it's 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 Man, I'll tell you, it's not just fighting; it's it's everything. Uh, everything in life is about the team that you surround yourself with. I don't care if you're the greatest thing in the world; you don't have the right team around you, man. You are going to fall flat. Whether you're sure. a fighter, whether you're in business, whether you're in medicine—I mean, it doesn't matter. Whether you're, just in life, you got to surround yourself with the right people. How did you? Uh, how did you meet? Uh, how did you come across Jim? Jim Walter. Uh, through Mark. Okay. And, uh, okay. What I what I found, you know, as I, you know, I was just some punk kid from Nebraska. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And 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 over these years, because of what I do, and I I've been fortunate enough to be to, to build relationships with people that I would have never met otherwise. Uh, you know, and and that's everywhere. That's you know, I got friends that are doctors and neurosurgeons and lawyers and you know people I would ne for no other reason we would have never connected. Yep. And, and you set all that bullshit aside and it's just two people. You know what I mean? It's just two people that enjoy each other's company or that are friends or, or whatever. 
but because of um, you know because of the position I'm in and what I do, you know, people tend to to open up to you. You know what I mean? And and that's how you really meet people. Yeah. But um, so what I found is that good people and 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 like honorable men surround themselves with like-minded people. So when Mark, you know, when I, I went, I had a couple friends that trained with Mark, and so I went there. That worked out well. I realized that I learned really quickly that Mark is an honorable guy. He, he's a good dude. He, he's, you know, he's God-fearing, loves his family, great husband, great dad. You know, every, everything, you know, Mark hits, he checks all the boxes on just quality, good-ass dude. And, sure. you know, I, I, I needed a manager. And, and I didn't have one, and, and his recommendation was Jim. So right away, at that very moment, I would have signed with Jim without ever even meeting him or talking to him just because Mark trusts him. Wow, know? wow. And, 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 you know, that's the kind of respect and, and admiration I have for Mark. And, I'm you know, me and Jim talked on the phone, and we went over some things and decided to give it a shot. And uh, that, that was that, man. And, and Jim Walter has has been one of the guys that he's he's not only saved my career but he's molded me into a a, a, this a different minded person you know it's really yeah like the the track that this dude thinks on is is just on another level you know it's he thinks about shit that i would have never even thought about you know what i mean he you know what it meant it must be that miami ohio uh College education, because that's where I went to school. Him and I both went there. <laughs> <laughs> that's gotta be. It. Yeah, that's gotta, gotta be. be well, you know, he, number one, he's he, as far as a as a businessman. Jim, you ain't gonna find anybody better than Jim. As far as crunching numbers and 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 making business decisions and his negotiating abilities, you know, that's that's what every manager is gonna tell you that he's the best at. But there is no, there, I've never met anybody that's better at it than Jim is. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that are like slick talkers, but they don't have the brains to back it up. You got right, you got to have those right. smarts, yeah. And I mean, Jim will break shit down to people, and like the, to the point where they're like, "He's right." Like they can't even argue with him. You know what I mean? He he just he's so goddamn good at what he does. That's and, awesome. And he's he's really analytical, and, and he, he works with numbers. He doesn't he doesn't negotiate with feelings. He doesn't he doesn't work with feelings. It's, you know, you can't you can't quantify that. So no doubt. Everything's based on the numbers, yeah. And, and and he's the best at it. So and, and really, as far as most managers go, that's where most guys stop. That's about all you're going to get out of your manager. But Jim is, you know, he's he's helped figure out who I am as a, like what I am as a brand. Like how do we brand me, you know? And, and how do we take who I am as a person and and turn that into a brand and, and turn that into something that we can not only sell to potential sponsors or, or, or align ourselves with certain companies as far as partnerships and stuff like that. But how do we, how do we, how do we show the fans who I really am? Because if you look at me from the outside and this is what Jimmy's saying, if you look at me from the outside, I look like a serial killer. But if you have a conversation with me, you'll realize that I'm probably a hundred times more intelligent than you, than you would have ever imagined. And, and, and I speak well and I'm, I'm well read. Uh, I, and and I'm, I'm just as analytical as Jim is. It's just in different areas. So and, and oh, by the way, you're, you're the number three rate ranked light heavyweight in the world for sure. <laughs> the for UFC, sure. so, by the way, which is which is hard to to sell to the fans if you don't know me. So how do we exactly. 
how, how do we get the fans to, you know, like, see who I really am? Well, like, nobody knows. A lot of, honestly, until just recently, no one knew I had three daughters. No one knew I had kids. No one knew I was engaged. No one knew that, I, you know, I'm a, a hunter and a fisher and, and, you know, no one knew any of that stuff. So, like, Jim has done a really good job of just kind of getting who I am out there. Uh, and, and I think that that's kind of overshadowed my story a little bit as far as how, where I came from. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are kind of seeing the end product or, or at least where I've built myself to now and no one really has paid attention to where but, I came from. Don't you love that when you hear like you're like the new guy on the scene? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's right? amazing. You know, yeah. Breakout star of the yeah, year. Yeah. Like, God damn, I got more fun. I remember being at that press conference and someone had talked about me being a new guy in the block. And I, and I remember saying, I think I got more fights than everybody up here. And then someone wrote an article. And other than Cowboy Cerrone, I did. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, 40, you know, I 44 arms. fucking fights, man, in, in, in what, 10 years? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, actually, uh, on, uh, sorry, don't type in. Uh, on the last fight card, I had more finishes than the entire card had fights total. Like, I wow. had more people than, than any other guy on the, on the entire fight card had fights total. Now, you're talking about this last fight against Ozdemir? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you were the main event that fight. That was the main event. Yes, sir. That was your first main event. Second. 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 Oh yeah, Shogun. Shogun. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So you you obviously the last few fights have been huge for you. I mean, uh, let's let's call it what it is. Rashad and, and Shogun are obviously on the back nine. They're at the end of their careers, but they're both some of the best to ever do it. And uh, and you put those guys out. You, you know, you won both of those fights. Uh, both of them by knockouts, right? Um, and then, and then this, this yep. last fight against Ozdemir, who was so hyped up, especially before the Cormier fight, so hyped up. And everyone thought that this guy was going to come in and, and, and derail even Daniel Cormier last year. Um, didn't happen obviously, but, but the guy had a lot of hype around him. And here you come in relatively unknown for being such a highly rated guy right now. And you beat him by submission in the third round. I, I assume that that was probably the big, probably the biggest fight of your career to this point. say that it was the biggest win but as far as personally i think the shogun fight was bigger for me mm -hmm. uh, just just strictly just for me speaking but okay as far as the, the biggest win of my career and the most important those demir was absolutely the most important you say because of you because shogun's one of those guys that you were probably watching as you were coming up back back in the day yeah yeah, yeah. shogun is uh he, he's like a mythical creature yeah you know? like like think about it, you never really seen him. Like he didn't do a lot of media. He didn't go to a lot of events. He didn't do a lot of meet and greets or anything like that. Like he just kind of crawled into his hole and he pop out when he was ready to fight, and then he just put on some epic battle and then he just slither back into the hole. <laughs> you know, That's this awesome. Kind of how I always looked at him. Yeah. And, and he's just an absolute savage. And, and taking it on, you know, ten or eleven days notice or whatever I did, and flew all the way over to Germany to fight in my first ever main event. In my second fight at 205, uh, the cards were kind of stacked against me a little bit in that one. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, I was able to come out of it. It was one of the biggest reliefs I've ever had after a fight, you know. And, and there's, there's, you know, and I was, it was like three weeks after the Rashad fight or something like that. So it, uh, it was, that was a, that was a big one for me. Oh, it's but huge. As yeah. far as my career, as far as my career goes, 
Ozdemir was definitely the biggest. And honestly, Ozdemir was one of the toughest. It's, it's probably the toughest fight I've ever had. Yeah, that was a war, man. I, I saw uh, some images of you leaving the ring with your arms around some people. I mean, that was a complete war, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It, 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 some of it was my fault. It was, you know, there was an easier path to victory in that fight. And and I, I'm just so damn bad at taking the easy road, you know. I, <laughs> I, clearly, as everyone can see by my, my life and career. Uh yeah, but you know what, man? That's what people really love. I, I think that that's where your story is. I think that that's where the brand with you and your team, Jim, and these guys. I mean, speaking from someone that's, like I said, a, a casual fan. I mean, this is what people want to see. People want to see the guy that uh, struggles, the one that's human, the one that has problems, that's faced adversity, that's that's hit rock bottom lower than most people will ever even know. And has come back and persevered and never quit. I, I mean, you've got a tremendous story, man. And I'm happy that you're tied in with Walter, Jim Walter and, and, and Mark and these guys. Because I feel like this is the team that could at least start pushing this kind of stuff so that the fans could connect to you. You said it before. How do we connect? I mean, how do how do the fans get that emotional connection to me? And I just think that there's not enough people, not even close, that, that know your story yet. No, there's not, and, well, and no one really asks. You know, yeah. and, and I think I think that some of it is 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 kind of. I think I'm a victim of my own success a little bit. I, I think that people enjoy my fight style so much that I don't think they. A lot of times they don't really give a shit to dig any deeper. Uh, mm -hmm. I think they just see this guy that that I, I just I don't know what it is, man. I just make everything hard, and I don't know why I do it. You know, there was easier ways to beat Vulcan, and for whatever reason, I chose the one that was the hardest, and and. I knew that if I executed the way that I wanted to, that that's how it was going to go, and, and I was going to get the win regardless. But I, I just can't shy away from a challenge. I don't know why. You know, I just, mm -hmm. you know, when people say he can't stand with him, he, he can't take a shot from Ozdemir, like most people are like, yeah, I don't really want to. But my mindset is, I bet I, I, bet I fucking can. Right. You know, and, and, and I just, and I take that road, you know, and, and once I'm down it, I, I don't know how to turn around. You know, I, I just got to see shit through. Uh, whether it's good or bad, I just got to keep seeing it through. And, you know, I I think that it's slowly starting to, to to resonate with people. I think that regardless of how people feel about my, my skills and abilities, uh, I, I think that people are starting to figure out I'm not going anywhere. You know, whether it's ugly or not, I'm here. Well, listen, man, you are going into your next four or five years of your prime of your career uh, you've got uh, you've got a, a tremendous thing going. Obviously, with the second stint with the UFC, you're now the third rated, third ranked light heavyweight in the UFC. Um, there is another person that that shares what you and I share in common with the daughters, and that's uh, a guy by the name of John Jones. That is that is actually, said that, earlier. That, that actually popped yeah. in my head. But I do I do actually know someone else. Yeah, so uh, I'm not talking Joe Rogan or. Uh, who else? Tim McGraw or Kobe Bryant, but but John Jones is a, is a relevant one in this in this regard. I know there's nothing personal with with Jones, but I I was reading some quotes and I saw some things come up. Um, what happened? He made the comment that that Anthony Smith wasn't worthy of a title shot or something like that. Well, it was somewhere along the lines of he's not impressed with me and and he doesn't think that I'm ready. But he you know he did say that. If offered, he would, you know, he would. He's more than happy to give me a title shot because he thinks it'll be an easy fight. Ah, okay, I got you. 
Well, aren't those the ones that you love? I mean, don't you love that? I do. I love everything about that. Especially uh, like when one of the greatest, if not, you know, one of the greatest fighters of all time in, in the octagon is, is making that comment. Like, yeah, I'm happy to fight him. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was happy that he was watching. If he's watching me fight, it means he's thinking about me, mm-hmm. which means regardless of what he, no matter what he says, that means he's, he's watching for a reason. So that, uh, that made me happy that he's paying attention. Um, listen, man, the, the whole internet is blowing up every MMA forum and every social media platform I have telling me that John Jones is going to murder me. He's going to tear my head off. I can't hang with him. I can't hang with, with him or Gustafson or Daniel Cormier. People have been telling me that my entire life. You'll never make it to the UFC. You'll never, oh, he's just a fringe guy. He'll never be ranked. Oh, he'll never be ranked in the top ten. Ah, oh, he'll never be in the top five. Oh, he'll never challenge for a title. Well, so far, every single person has been wrong. That, like, I, I, I'm not going away that easy, you know? And, and I... I, I know that John Jones is a tall task. It is, and, and I'm very aware of that. And something I said to Dan Hardy a few weeks ago, the thing that intrigues me the most about John Jones and the reason that the only name that I will say is John Jones is because I, I know that I, I know that I possess, I possess the abilities to beat him, but I'm not sure that I can. And, and, and I like that feeling. I like that, that weird, I don't really know what's going to happen here feeling. And, and I haven't had that for a really long time, and I've been chasing that that kind of nervousness, you know, weird kind of I don't know what's going to happen feeling. I've been chasing that for a long time, and it, it's kind of like chasing the dragon, you know, like who knows what's going to happen when you catch it, but you're still going to chase it, you know. And, and I and I love it. And you know what? I I got a weird style, you know, and I have a weird I have a an uncanny ability to uh, to figure people out. I, I I'm not the best striker in the UFC. I'm not the best wrestler. I'm not the best jujitsu guy. But I absolutely am confident that I'm the best problem solver that's ever fought in the UFC. And if you give me long enough, I'll figure you out. I'll figure I'll figure it out eventually. And and once I find the hole, uh, I'll drive a truck through it. And and I'm. And I'm, I know I can beat John Jones, and, and I, I, I need I need that fight. And you know, I the whole the whole camp for Ozdemir was focused on getting to John Jones. That was it. Do whatever I got to do to beat Ozdemir to get to John Jones. And God damn it, we're here. Are you? Uh, yeah, dude. That's there's, there's a lot there. First thing that I come comes to mind is you sound based upon this and based upon where you're at with your fight career, this is this the most sound mentally that you've ever felt in your career? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, just spending so much time with Mark, and, and I don't I keep beating this, this horse, but spending so much time with my, you know, my jiu-jitsu coach Scott and, and Mark and Jim, uh, I've just become so self-aware. And, and I know where I'm good and I know where I'm not. And I know, I know where to go when I need to be safe. And I, and that's not just even talking just strictly fighting. That's just in life. Uh, since I've been with Jim and since I've been with Mark and, and all, you know, the kind of the three coaches and I, they've just made me a better person and, and a, just a, a better man in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with that comes, you, you gotta be, 
you got to be honest with yourself. And, you know, I, for example, I was going into the Shogun fight, and people kept asking me questions about it, and I just said, Shogun was my idol. He was my favorite fighter for a long time. He, he was someone that I looked up to, someone that I just wished so damn bad. I prayed every single night that I could eventually make it to a spot where I where I accomplished even a fraction of the things the Shogun has done. And then the whole world blows up saying that I, I'm going to get walked through because I have too much respect for him and, and, and I'm fighting my idol and I'm not going to be able to beat him. And then I go in and, and, and I do what I do to him. And, you know, I, like people are just, like if you're honest with yourself, you can, you can do great things. And I'm okay with saying I might not be able to beat John Jones, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to go in there and lay down for him. You know, and, and that mindset, is, like the ability to be honest with yourself is, uh, is probably one of the biggest things that I've probably picked up over the last two and a half years. It, I'm just, you got to be honest with yourself and it's yeah. okay to not know, you know, and, and exactly. I think, I think historically, you know, you look at football players, you look at wrestlers, you look at, you know, MMA fighters and, and you see a guy who, who says, I don't know if I could beat him. You immediately think that that's a weakness. And, and I don't think that it is. I, I, I really don't. And if anything, I think that it's a strength. I think that going into a fight where you don't know that you, if you can win, there's, there's no expectation. Uh, I just need to go in there and I need to bite my ass off and do as great as I possibly can do. And, and we'll go from there. You know, I, I, what's scary about something like that is you probably don't even know how good potentially you might be until you have a guy like that standing across from you going into a camp like that, that feeling like you said that you haven't had in who knows how long. I mean, those, those are the types of fights where it pulls the absolute greatest out of people. Like I, when you were talking about that, I remember the TJ Dillashaw versus um, Henan Burrell. Henan Burrell. Yeah. Yeah, that's what was coming to mind when you were talking like that. Yeah, well, and here's here's one of my biggest weaknesses. Well, it depends on the situation. Sometimes it's an advantage, and sometimes it's a weakness. I fight to my. I've always done this from being a wrestler to a football player to a fighter. I've always competed to my opponent's level. Now, if you're fighting someone who's not as good as you are, that's never. That's not good. You know, that's a definite that, weakness. Exactly, you know? yeah. Um, but if you're fighting the, the pound-for-pound best fighter that's ever stepped in the octagon, I would say my ability to fight to my opponent's level is probably a good one. I mean, that's that's probably an advantage, I would imagine. So that's kind of the deal with Ozdemir. You know, I kind of I kind of fought down to him a little bit, regardless if he was ranked number two in the world at the time. I, I feel like technically I was superior, but you know, I kind of fought back down to where my opponent's at. And, and Mark Montoya says if he, he could get rid of one, but that I only do to win, and that's not even a conscious thing that I do. But for whatever reason, if you were kind of go back and look at my career, other you know, obviously I've got the ability to knock people out, and I've done it often. But kind of over the course of my career, you kind of seen in the Ozdemir fight, I only do. I do enough to win, and and that's about it. Like I I do what I have to do, but not too much more than that. And it's not it's not laziness. It's not. You there? 
I, I, I know where their level's at, and I'll do just enough to beat them. Yeah. 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 Hello? Yeah, I'm so, I, I was, I was, uh, you were breaking up a little bit, but I, I think I'm, I think you're back now. Um, oh, you, is that better? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, basically what you were saying is, is that, that when you, when you, you, you typically have the tendency to fight to the competi- level of your competition is what you're saying. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, if you find someone who's lower, a lower level than you, then that's kind of a bad thing. But right, if, exactly. If, if you're fighting John Jones... That's a that's a good quality to have. So, are you, um, Anthony? Are you, are you like staying in shape for this this big fight between Jones and Gustafson, just in case one of those guys gets hurt? Or are you um, are you off right now? Oh, I'm off right now. Okay. Uh, I'm staying in. I mean, I'm still staying in shape. Uh, I still train jujitsu two or three times a week. I do strength conditioning twice a week when I'm home. So, you know, I'm, I'm still staying in decent shape anyways, but it sounds like the uh, there's another 205 fight on the card that's got a couple of pretty highly ranked guys on there. So it sounds like that's the backup plan. Ah, uh, okay. It's, it's, okay. It's one of those two guys. And after that war that you just had a few weeks ago, I mean, I assume that you, you, you probably got a medical suspension as well anyways, right? I did. I did. I, got a, I think I got a 30 or 45-day suspension. Okay. Um, and then, you know, honestly, I've just been spending a lot of time with my family. I fought I, I three times in five months. And, you know, there I, I fought Shogun July 9th. Or I fought Rashad Evans June 9th. I fought Shogun July 22nd. And then signed the Ozdemir contract seven, seven days later. So I, I've pretty much been in a, a constant training camp since March or April. So, wow. You know, I... I the. The fortunate thing about me meeting Mark is is everything that we've talked about. The unfortunate part about that is that he lives in you know that that gym is in Denver and I live in Omaha, Nebraska. So <laughs> right, but you yeah. know there's a lot of sacrifice there for for me and my family. You know I'm I'm gone Monday through Friday, you know six seven eight weeks at a time. I, I fly home Friday night and I fly back to Denver Monday morning and that's every single week. I've never missed a weekend the entire time I've been training with Mark. Yeah. So. Uh, and honestly, man, it, it makes it makes me sound like a sissy, but I, I just can't be away from my kids and Michaela. Oh, and dude, of course, of course. It, it, any more than any more than five days, and and it's hard. Me, be, well, me being there becomes. If it's more than that, then then essentially we start doing damage because now I'm not even I'm not focused. I'm not. I'm not tuned into what's going on because I'm just pissed off because I haven't seen my family and I'm. I'm missing my family so much and I just you know I can't do it so yep it goes back to that balance in life that 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 happy medium somewhere hey listen um we'll be be wrapping up here shortly uh I do want to say I I think that you deserve the the next shot whoever wins that fight between Jones and Gustafson I think that's your next fight it should be at least the UFC should be marketing figuring out a way to do this to market you against those guys regardless of who it is I'd love to see you fight either one of those guys um, selfishly, I'd love to see Jones win so that you and him could lock up in the octagon since he, he does feel it's going to be an easy one and, uh, and see what, see what kind of, see what, what he can pull out of you. Like, again, going back to that Dillashaw thing. I mean, I, w- I would love to see that based upon our conversation this past, almost this past hour and, and see what happens. Um, next year, man. What what's the future hold? What is what is twenty nineteen? 
take us through your crystal ball. What happens in 2019 for Anthony Smith? Um, 2019, well, you know what? Uh, Jim, Mark, and Scott have already been kind of game planning the beginning of the year. We got some – the fortunate thing about the Ozdemir fight is I got – because things kind of didn't go exactly the way that we had planned and, and I made it harder on myself, the, 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 the positive that we took out of that is I got all the lessons that you would have gotten from a loss without actually having to take the loss. So we were, we were able to, to really dig – you know, we were able to go three rounds with – with the number two guy in the world, and now now we know where some of the holes are at. It's kind of hard to tell when you're knocking guys out and you know combine 104 seconds or whatever it was for my last two fights. So we were able to. Now we got a lot of information to process, uh, and we're going to be doing some silly shit. You know, I'm 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 going to start taking dancing lessons here next week, so we can work on my work on my footwork. We're traveling out to California for a week to uh to figure out this uh kind of you know when i'll switch up some stuff for my strength and conditioning so we're going to go out there and do some testing and kind of hammer that out uh and then just skill build we'll be making some trips back and forth to denver and and essentially uh, i want to challenge for the title uh international fight week in july so i'm going to spend the next seven months figuring out how we can can be the best, the best Anthony Smith come summertime. And, and whether it's Jones or Gustafson, it doesn't, honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to me. It's not, it never been about one person. It's always been about the title. Mm-hmm. But as you said, selfishly, I, I, I hope it's John Jones. Uh, but if it's Gustafson, then that's who it is. And that's who we're fighting. So, yeah, uh, that, that's my plan is to, uh, it's just to spend the next six or seven months getting, getting better and, and closing these holes up and shoring up my conditioning and get, you know, basically what you just get better, you know, no doubt. Just focus no doubt. on getting better and then, and then go win a world title. Last question, man. Where'd you get the nickname Lionheart? <laughs> Have you ever seen this Van Damme movie? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's essentially the beginning of my amateur career. Uh, it wasn't, MMA wasn't sanctioned in Nebraska when I started fighting, so it was super underground. It was sketchy as fuck. It was, it was, it was weird, you know. And uh, that's kind of it, it. Was just dirty and grimy, and and you know, I I, I had a reputation of kind of taking a taking a whoop in the first part of the fight, and I would always pull out something crazy at the end. And uh, you know, that's that's just who a couple of the promoters and and announcers kind of likened me to was the, you know that character in Van Dam that was or, or that character you know Van Dam's character in Lionheart that was uh, kind of fighting for his life and, and for his family and and tended to you know he tended to lose the beginning of the of the fight mm-hmm. and pull out a finish at the end. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. It's a great it's, movie. Yeah, it's a great movie, and it's a great, uh, great nickname, man. It, it means that there's a lot of meaning behind that. Heart of a lion, Lionheart. Uh, it's it's good stuff, and obviously with the family man that you are, your fiance, your three, your three beautiful daughters, man. That's uh, it's important to have that kind of mentality and that protector mentality. So, like I said, brother, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Uh, you gained another fan here tonight, and, and God willing, your profile will continue to raise, and uh, we'll be seeing we'll be seeing that that strap around your waist uh, in the next year or two. For sure, man. Thanks a lot for uh, for giving me the platform, man. I appreciate it. 
Um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully soon we can uh, we can connect again and, and have another chat. Oh, dude, absolutely, we'd love to. You know what we can do, man? What we we'll get you up to Cleveland. I'm in here in Cleveland, Ohio. That's actually where Jim Walters from originally. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get you to Cleveland, man. Me, you, maybe Steep Jim. We could do like a roundtable podcast. That'd be fucking great. Oh, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be no, great. No. That'd be great. I, Jim's been trying to get me to come up for a Browns game. Oh, stay at home. Don't don't worry about that. <laughs> That's what I told him. I said, nah, <laughs> you can meet me in Denver. We'll go to a Broncos. Listen, if he could have gotten you those Cavs tickets when they were winning championships a few years ago, that would have been one thing. But, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Hey, man, listen, uh, good luck with everything. We'll stay in touch. Thanks a lot, man. Take care of yourself. Thanks. You too.